Hey, my name's Belinda Baggs, co-founder of Surface for Climate, a sea roots movement dedicated to positive climate action. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Car Park Convos, because change starts with a conversation. This chat was recorded on the lands of the Wadarong people. I acknowledge their care and connection to country and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. And all the true locals, the traditional owners that are tuning in today. Like all countries on this continent, sovereignty was never ceded. I have a really special guest joining us for a convo today, Christina Henlon. Tina, as, our, as her mates call her, is the CEO at Sundot Marine. She describes herself as a crazy Hawaiian making fish flags and having an amazing time doing it. She's got roots firmly planted on the Big Island and a rich cultural family history. We just love Tina and hope you do too. We're here today with Christina Henlon, a beautiful surfer full of love, fun and kindness, continually spreading the aloha spirit wherever she goes. Tina and I have been friends for several decades now, sharing many sessions in the warm waters of Noosa Heads on Gubby Gubby Country and some really integral life moments as well. There's not much better than hearing you hooting past on a wave, Tina. <laughs> Um, you, di- you divide your time here between Hawaii and Australia, and you're also the CEO of Sundot Marine. Tina, welcome to the SFC po- Car Park Convos podcast. Thank you. Hi, Vindy. You're amazing. Thanks for including me. Uh, so stoked you're here today to chat to us. Appreciate all your time. Um, before we get into deeper questions, I wanted to start with a common one um, that all surfers use as a bit of an icebreaker. Where was your last surf and can you share with us anything special about it? Yeah, so my last surf was, I think, two days ago in um, Coulomb with my sister, Alana. Uh, she lives here in Australia and Parisian beach. And it was a really small day. We just went like right kind of near the surf club out front there. I think there was a board riders comp on a longboarders comp. We just caught 10 waves. It was pretty much just like ankle slappers, but it was really special just cause I got to share it with my sister. Beautiful. And was the water warm? Oh, so warm bikini. <laughs> Still warm up here in Noosa. <laughs> I think I can only surf in tropical places now. I'm not a very good cold water surfer. <laughs> well, between Hawaii and Australia, you don't need to worry about the cold water. <laughs> no, I mean, Australia winter up here in Noosa, where I spent most of my time and Sunshine Coast and on the Goldie. Yeah, it was just like a spring suit in winter. So super minor. Blessed, blessed to be in warm places. Two of the best places in the world. Living the dream. Totally, I know. I'm, I'm feel so grateful. You're so living the dream. <laughs> I wanted to dive in a little bit more about you, uh, primarily the meaning of your name, where did you grow up, and a bit about your family background. All right. So my name is Christina Kamaka Okalani Henline. My middle name is uh, Hawaiian for Heavenly Eyes. Kamaka meaning 
eyes and Kalani meaning the heavens. And when I was born, my mom tells me a story that I was born with my eyes like wide open, ready to see the world. And so that's how she came up with that middle name. I was born in Kailua on Oahu, uh, the island where the famous Waikiki and North Shore is. But I actually grew up in Hilo on the big island to the east side of Hawaii Island. But a lot of people get confused when you say Hawaii because it's like, yeah, what island? But it's actually Hawaii Island. Uh, so I grew up, I went to school there. And when I was 18, I moved to Australia after high school. So I lived in Noosa for about eight years. The time I met you long ago, that was like 2002, almost 20 years ago. And um, yeah, so I spent a little bit of time living in Noosa and then moved down to Burley Heads and Palm Beach for about four years and then moved back to Hawaii in 2015. I lived back on the Big Island in a town called Hawaii, which is on the sort of north side of the Big Island near Kailua Kona, where the family business that I took over started. And two years ago, like a week before the whole COVID craziness, I moved to Oahu Island. So now I currently live there in a town called Pearl City, It's kind of in the middle of the island. So super central to everywhere. I love it. And um, yeah, trying to figure out a way to try to live in Australia again part time. So live my two little awesome lives in two epic countries in the world. <laughs> Incredible. Eyes wide open and I feel like that's so fitting for exactly who you are now. Like <laughs> I just know every time I see you down on the beach or out in the water, like you just have these beautiful eyes that are, yeah, just like taking in the whole world, but at the same time so very wise <laughs> so and full of fun. Uh, and and what about your family back? My family background. So my mom was born in Australia in Sydney and uh, my dad is from Hawaii. So my mom has Spanish, Italian, Swiss heritage, super complicated, but my grandparents actually were born and raised in the Philippines. That's my mom's side. And then they moved to Australia just shortly after World War II to escape the, the intense lifestyle and start fresh. So they moved to Australia when my mom was before my mom was born and had all of my aunties and my uncle. Um, a lot of Aussies might know him, Chris Diaboides. He's like the dog whisperer. Also started Noosa Longboard Surf Shop up in Noosa. So my auntie and my uncle live here, um, Zandra. And then my mom and my other auntie live back in Hawaii. And my grandpa used to work as an engineer for uh, Pepsi. And would travel all over the world. So when they were growing up, they spent time in Puerto Rico and Argentina and then ended up in Hawaii. My grandpa was working for Dole Cannery, which is one of the, um, you know, we're famous for pineapples, right? Back in the day. So he was an engineer for Dole in on Oahu. And my mom was, I think, a senior in high school. So she finished school there in Kailua. And then shortly after, I met my dad. And not long after that, I kind of came along. <laughs> and so that's how I was born and 
raised in Hawaii Island and just kind of always wanted to travel and explore. And when we were, when we were born, my mom registered us as citizens with the Australian consulate. So thanks to her, I have dual citizenship, which allows me to travel back and forth and allowed me to come here for uni in 2002. So I moved here to go to Sunshine Coast Uni and just try something different and expand my horizons. My dad's side of the family, they're, um, they go way back. Actually, it's pretty interesting since moving to Oahu, I found like our family tree that goes back to like the 1800s, like all the way back to ancient Hawaiian days, which is, it's been a new thing that I'm trying to get into learning more about my culture. So my dad has the Hawaiian Chinese background of the family where I get my native um, Hawaiian from. And yeah, his family's mostly based in Oahu and Kaneohe on the east side, but we're all over. We're on all the islands. You can find someone we're related to. I guess that's like the small town Hawaii culture. Everyone's connected somehow. So yeah, I, don't, I mean, I could talk about that for, for hours, but Sorry. that's kind of the, the short version. <laughs> It's so fascinating um, just hearing all your different backgrounds and obviously the Hawaiian culture. Like, so, yes, so fascinating to me coming from Australia. Um, well, you know, primarily having an English background and just not really knowing you know, the deep history of, of where my bloodlines are from. So, but it, yeah, it was really cool to, to um, when we, you just made me think of when we were walking to Tea Tree and talking to Rayson. Like that really just made me so happy how he was so interested in his culture and learning about his family and, and then trying to find like every, every time you run into someone in Hawaii, you just try to find out like who you know and have in common. And I just remember talking about the Kobayashis and there's like, I'm pretty much hundred percent sure we know, you know, I went to school with somebody that he's related to through his family bloodline. And I'm pretty sure like his uncle or somebody was like my high school sports director. So like that's super Hawaiian culture where everyone's somehow related somehow, not if by blood, but kind of like Hanai style where you just know each other so close through friends and family that you basically are family. So yeah, I, I do find it interesting and it really like warmed my heart that he being so young wanted to know about his culture. So I really, I'm stoked that you, you know, you ask these questions and and that you care about that. It's pretty special. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I guess, does that, do you find that, you know, because you do find that you're related to people by blood or by Hanai style, is that what you called it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like where, where someone's like adopted or, you know, you, you spend so much time with them that they become like your family or like, yeah, it, it's kind of like a, like a not legit blood, but may as well be blood because you're so close. But love and care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like love and care for each other, just like family. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, do you think that sort of ignited the aloha spirit or like, you know, I guess to go more into that, like what does the aloha spirit mean to you? Yeah, that's such a hard thing. To explain it's just 
I feel like the Aloha spirit just is like, it's just something you just have, you just grow up with. It's like in your heart and you just always want to do good, good, kind things for other people. You always, you know, put other people first and think about how you can do good in the world, I guess, not just for your family, but for your community. And I don't know, life's so short. Like it's hard not to live with, with Aloha and, and kindness in your heart. And it just, it just, yeah, it's something that I, I've learned traveling around the world a lot that it, it is so unique to Hawaii and it's just like, you can explain it and you can try to live it in other places, but it's, Actually, I, I feel like Tahiti is quite similar also. Like they have that kind of, and New Zealand, that Islander, like it's just, you're so connected to the earth and the people and and the joy, even though you might have the the bare minimum, you know, like, but that's all you need is a roof over your head and food and like the people around you that you love. So if we try to just live with Aloha, I think, I don't know, every day is just a better day. <laughs> such a hard thing to explain no it it makes sense and like I could only imagine how different the world would be if everybody did live with aloha every day yeah it and it would it, be a very it different would, place. it would be a much more peaceful beautiful place but you know little little steps and I think the with globalization and podcasts and you know talking about it more and just trying to live as surfers and, you know, as people that love the ocean, we, we do spread that. And then people who maybe are transitioning and migrating to the ocean and living near oceans and realizing after the last few years that, you know, that, that this lifestyle does make people happier, then they can in turn take little steps to try to live with Aloha so we can all be happier all the time. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. I think we all need to take a, a note out of the Aloha Spirit book um, and kind of bring that forward in our everyday thinking because it would really create a different atmosphere, a different type of society and way of living for each and every one of us. So um, thank you to you for sharing that Aloha Spirit wherever you go. I always feel so blessed to spend time with you and so much happier um, after our time spent together and can really feel the love and care and compassion um, coming from you and sort of through through our friendship. So, like, you're a living testament to what that really means. Thank you. <laughs> um, talking about, you know, surfing and kind of how, you know, you feel that some surfers do sort of encapsulate that aloha spirit, um, you know, we also – always use the shaka sign wherever we go <laughs> um, as, you know, it seems to be a way to sort of express express stoke and gratitude but also often use as a greeting. Um, you know, the shaka originated from Hawaii. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of the shaka? Yeah, sure. So um, I always heard, I was trying to think about this, like where I heard the story originally or where it started coming from. But I, in the back of my mind, I always heard it was from an old man who lived in Oahu that was working in the sugarcane industry at the time and had an accident and lost three of his middle fingers. And 
that the shaka had um, originally come from him. And so when you kind of told me that we would be talking about this, I was like, I better do some research myself and find out. And so that is one of the versions. I know there's a few like different historical um, research projects going on. And what I found was that it was a man from Oahu, from uh, Laie, and his name was Hamana Kalili. And he was actually a fisherman back in those days, not that long ago. I think he passed away in 1958. So a pretty fairly recent culture. And um, what what happened was, there, I mean, there's a guy named Sean Young, I think, that's writing a book currently about this wonderful man. And he, I think in 2002, met a lady in Utah that had grown up there and she started sharing her stories and it got him really excited to learn more. And um, he, yeah, so he was, oh, sorry, that was my reminder to not miss the podcast, which started half an hour ago. <laughs> Edit that part out. Okay, sorry, pause for a second. Turn off my alarm. It was either that or wake up at 9.30 a.m., but I wake up at like six here in Australia. It's so warm and beautiful. And anyway, okay, pause and cut that part out. So yeah, what I learned from doing a little bit extra research myself was that he was um really involved in the local church out there and started doing like hooky laos, kind of like, you know, the luau where they introduce people to the culture. And he, there's a, there's a um, statue of him at the Polynesian Cultural Center. So he would help raise money for his local church, with that, which then turned into this cultural center. And there's an, a monument dedicated to him. Anyway, so I guess what, what also happened was he would wave his hand around to say hi to people right and his fingers were missing so I think what happened was kids started imitating him as they usually do right so kids would start waving to each other within the community using the three middle fingers like down so only your thumb and pinky are sticking up and you're saying hi to everyone and you're like oh I'm from La Ie, I'm from the North Shore you know like this is where I come from and so there's also a famous like football team there, Kahuku football team. They're lots of Islanders, so they're they're undefeated off a lot of the time. So they started taking that around the island and the gesture started to grow. And then surfers started to come and visit in the 60s from the mainland in California. And like like they do, like you do when you travel around to new exotic, wonderful places, you take things back that you like. You know, they took back the slippers, the flip-flops or I don't know what you call them here but thongs and they took back you know like different different styles of surfing from Hawaii and different food that they liked and they also just started taking back the shaka sign and you know saying hi to their friends and and then it grew from that and it became like a surfing gator culture in the 70s and now it's just, it's crazy. It's just worldwide. I mean, Obama shaka, you know, there's pictures of Obama throwing shakas and, and everybody around the world now uses that symbol to represent hopefully aloha and, and good vibes. And, you know, like it's kind of like hang loose, they say too, to just relax and, and not be in such a rush and 
you know, just kick back, take your time and enjoy life. So that's where I kind of see the shaka sign come in. And now there's like mini shakas and double shakas and all these different representations of it, which is really awesome and great for everyone if they're passing on the good vibes too, you know? So yeah, the shaka is just a symbol of, of aloha and, and stoke for me. Does that, how's that answer? Do you feel <laughs> it's no, that's it's so incredible. <laughs> so great because, you know, we often use the shaka at SFC and it occurred to us that we hadn't gone back through and really traced its history and what, it really meant to people. So that's why this conversation is so important to us because we know that it has a deep history and meaning and obviously want to honour that history and meaning and ensure that we're using it in the most appropriate way possible as well. So thank you for taking us through that. Um, do you feel that it's appropriate for surfers to be using the shocker? Shaka. Yeah, I mean, I I know that there's a lot of cultural appropriation that happens, like not with the worst of intentions, but I think that if it's done respectfully, in a respectful way, then sure, why not? But if you're, you know, I I mean, I'm trying to think of ways that I see it where it's not used, but I can't think of any. Like to me, I just see it, and it brings stoke. And when I see people doing it, it's usually in a stoked way also so yeah it, it it is it is just sometimes radical that so many people do throw shakas it's just kind of become part of our everyday life now what do you what do you absolutely, think absolutely absolutely and we'll do our best to keep it stoked um yeah i mean we just see it everywhere and it's such a positive um sign you know and like just like throw a shaka someone gets a good wave throw a shaka like and even in everyday lives like someone does something awesome and you know you send them a shaka so like I personally love it I love using it but like I also really respect the the history and the meaning of it and so it means a lot to be able to talk to you about you know um the deeper meaning of it and make sure that we are using it appropriately. Yeah. I mean, I think with anything, there's going to be some form of silliness involved. And I'm sure back in the day, you know, kids imitating the symbol that they saw Hamana doing, like, of course, kids are going to be a little silly and make a little bit of fun of him because it's unique and it's never, you know, like, oh, he's missing his fingers, the poor guy, because kids are just innocent little kids making fun of things. But as adults, we're, we're obviously like not going to be doing it with that theme behind it. You know, we're going to be, like you said, being super positive and doing it to, to share stoke and spread stoke and positivity. So I think, yeah, I, I think that knowing where it came from and, and that background and understanding how things can involve, evolve and symbols and, and representations of a culture can change over time it's quite amazing and I mean it if you look at a photograph right and someone's it's just like how Japanese people you know you see them in their photos they're always like showing little peace signs and look looking really cute and it's like if you see a photo and someone's like throwing a shaka in it it's just it's just like oh it's not so much they're from Hawaii anymore or they're from the North Shore or they grew up in Laie it's become this symbol of 
of, yeah, like polite aloha spirit and, and happiness. So I think that the shaka representation is, there, there's not a better thing. There's not a better thing. And I'm stoked that you guys are trying to learn the history also. And I'm, I'm really quite excited for, for this guy, Sean Young's book. I think it's just in the early stages of drafting, but he's been putting hundreds of hours of research into, into learning the actual history of where it came from and talking to local people and going through the archives and, you know, it'll be a really cool story once that does come out. Sounds incredible and definitely something that if you are a surfer and you do throw a shaka, you should keep an eye out for the book and make sure that you read it in order to pay proper respects from, to the history of where it originated from. It's also really amazing to me how such, you know, one small gesture can kind of, for lack of a better word, go viral around the globe. Um, and, and also like a good reminder in that sense too, that like all the little choices that we make and all the little things that we do um, actually do have an impact and sometimes can spread much wider than our own homes or our own friend circles and things like that. So um, good to always keep it stoked and positive and um, just doing what's right. Um, On that note, how do you feel about the current state of the ocean? Ooh. Yeah, that's not a very positive, happy feeling. Like I just instantly got a feeling of sadness and, and dread. Uh, there's so many issues and things that arise when I think about the state of the ocean, apart from it being in absolute need of our dire help right now, more than ever, especially with the whole pandemic and the plexiglass and the mass creation and just we were just doing so well trying to get rid of the single use plastic and the plastic water bottles. And now there's just a whole new wave of plastic uh, oh, and fishing, like just my family business being involved in the fishing industry, overfishing and, and nets. And just there's so many issues. I don't even know where to start. Um, but before I become overwhelmed on that topic, just... um. Yeah, I'm I'm really grateful for, you know, companies like yours, like Surfers for Climate and and Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii, just different organizations that are bringing to light the state of our oceans and how we can help them recover or do our part for the next generation. Um yeah, I think just we need to be aware of all of these different issues that are affecting our oceans like especially as surfers who you know we're we're using the ocean every day we're not just surfing we're swimming we're boogie boarding you know we're body surfing we're canoe paddling we're taking our kids there to dig sandcastles on the beach like i can't imagine a life without the ocean so if we don't you know start protecting it more and taking smaller steps to create bigger change, then, then we might be in trouble for, or our kids might be in trouble really soon. Absolutely. And that's, you know, part of the reason why we created Surface of Climate was that we could ensure that the next generation um, can continue riding waves in thriving oceans 
for you know years and years to come like forever um and obviously you know it seems like a selfish act to want to protect the ocean just to be able to surf in it and there's a much deeper much deeper um meaning and call to action there that is you know without a healthy ocean there is really no healthy life on planet earth Mm -hmm. and so we just all agree have to band together and and do every little bit that we can to help protect it, which is sometimes really difficult in the current confines of society um, and how we're supposedly meant to be living our lives. So, um, you know, everything from, like, climate pollution, CO2 emissions through to plastic pollution, um, you know, runoff from our streets and our suburbs, like, we need to do all we can to protect our mother ocean as much as possible. I I 100% agree. And just, just being here in Australia in the last month, I got here right before the floods, the latest floods. And it's just been radical to see the amount of trash and not just little, little microplastics. Like we're talking boats that sunk and became, you know, like just, I can't even, I don't know where to start. Just, things that have floated up on the shorelines of the Sunshine Coast and come down the riverways and, you know, just so much destruction and pollution from, from that. Just, and the effects of, you can see the effects of climate change happening like all around us all the time, you know, extreme fires and natural disasters. And obviously our earth is, is feeling the effects of us not taking care of it properly. And, and yeah, just, I, I think what I would just suggest to people, not just surfers, but when surfers, you know, can talk to their friends and, and just share their experiences. I noticed so much more microplastics on, on the shoreline at Tea Tree. Like, I don't remember that when, you know, when you and I used to surf there 20 years ago, like it's just, it, it's just now becoming obvious in front of our faces when you see, you know, the, the great ocean garbage patch and and what's his name jason momoa throwing axes trying to raise money for sustainable coastlines hawaii like you kind of just are made more aware of the problems and and that are happening but also the organizations that are out there to help do something about it not just talk about it so yeah i think it's awesome for people to get behind local local companies in their area or, you know, like, or surfers for climate, it doesn't even have to be someone, you can do it globally now, you know, or, or take part in, in local beach cleanups or, or small little steps like using reef safe sunscreen and, and, you know, refusing to use sunscreen that, you know, is going to damage the coral reefs and, and just, um, yeah, like take three for the sea, you know, just, just pick up three pieces of rubbish off the beach when you leave it, you know, just doing tiny little things and bring a bucket to the beach and, and have your kids, you know, clean up a little sand dune area, like getting them passionate about taking little steps, I think can lead to great big positive change. Absolutely. I'm a huge believer in that change starts in your own backyard and every decision that we make does matter. Um, and that can be, like you said, from, you know, choosing not to use sunscreen that, that hurts our reefs or picking up a couple extra pieces of plastic and even, 
you know the food that we choose to to eat the 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 um the food miles that are on that particular item or um you know the extra kilometers that we choose to drive or not drive in our car like it all makes a difference every single little bit and at a time like this when you know we're kind of at a tipping point um time's genuinely running out we need to all do every little thing that we possibly can because every fraction of a degree matters every piece of microplastic it matters at this point and yeah we need to all work together towards towards saving our beautiful ocean and planet essentially 100 agree um and it's great to see so many positive solutions out there as well like you said like sustainable coastlands hawaii is absolutely incredible um the work that take three is doing here um and yeah like lots of other great solutions based initiatives and businesses like sea forest um and things yeah. like that so our ocean not only is you know unfortunately copying the majority of the problems and hardship but it's also a place of solution totally and i i I agree and like organizations like patagonia you know that started so long ago with with ethically running their business that the right way that so many other companies have tried to follow in their footsteps and i think being part of the burley patagonia family back in you know like I don't know what year that was, but it's long a few years back now. But yeah, they just kind of opened my eyes up too to like unfortunately too long ago. Oh, no, I know, but just like using products that were ethically sourced and you know, like are gonna last me forever. I just need my one puff jacket and I can take that to Mauna Kea to the to the snow and use it, you know, on a cold night at the beach, but I don't have to go buy generic hoodies that aren't gonna last you know, stand the test of time or be repaired if they're broken, like making conscious choices in your, in your daily life of what you wear, like you said, what you eat, you know, like planting gardens. Like I remember COVID crisis, every, you couldn't even buy seeds at the, you know, at the, all the local hardware stores, like seeds were gone. Like what is, why, why do people just panic and then decide to start gardens? And then you know, I mean, that's a great thing that everyone was exposed to that, but that's something we should be doing anyway, you know, make time to grow your own food and, and just, we're, we're so disconnected and so busy and, and used to getting things so instantly that we're, we're often disconnected from, from our roots and our culture and, and yeah, like taking little steps, like conscious choices, you know, ride your bike or, or carpool instead, or, yeah, share share your overabundance of avocados with your neighbor and and trade them for some mangoes. Like we definitely need more of that happening too. And it it is it is great to talk about it and you know and share share our knowledge because knowledge is power too. And and I'm like I said, I'm so grateful for for your what you're doing. And you, you know you've always been one of the leaders in in change in our local local not just australia because you know you're everyone loves you all over the world too not just for your epic surfing skills but just for the positivity that you bring and caring for our world and our ocean so thanks for for all that you do cindy i wish we were neighbors i wish we lived together and crafts nights again maybe one day 
Maybe one day, maybe one day. Um, I think it kind of, you know, drawing this whole conversation to a bit of a close, I feel like that that connectedness that you mentioned, like through community um, and, and just the whole fact that people should be kind and nice and love one another, you know, from like sort of encompassing that aloha spirit that we spoke about earlier, um, you know, all the way through to just connecting with your community and getting to know your neighbours and being kind to the people that we're surfing with. Like, yeah, we're so lucky we forward. surf. We're so, we're, we're in the top 1% of the world, like with the sport that we get to do, like we're in the ocean catching waves. Like there really is nothing better than that. And yeah, when you surf, like surf with stoke and gratitude and happiness and you know, don't get frustrated. Don't get mad. You're not out there to just be aggro and dread a wave. You're there to like have a good time and connect to nature and yeah, be grateful. Thanks, Tina. I couldn't have thought of a better way um, <laughs> to sort of end this podcast. Is there anything else you wanted to add on that note? <laughs> I can't wait to surf with you again and race in. And I can't wait for you to come to Hawaii and surf Waikiki and Shaka at the Duke statue like he wanted to do. He, that's the first thing he told me he wanted to do. And I think that's pretty special to hear like a young kid like having that as their dream, you know, it's pretty cool. I don't know. I'm just stoked. I'm so stoked to be part of a surfing community that's global. And I'm just thankful for this epic life that we all get to live. Thanks, Bindi. And yeah, I don't know. Let's, let's go surfing. Go surfing. <laughs> Yay. <laughs>